Let us ask God to bless the preaching of his word. O God and our Father, please give us understanding of your word by the work of your spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we have uh, been working through the book of Ephesians and have come to Ephesians chapter 4, but I do want us to remind ourselves of the preceding chapters. We have, to, we have to guard ourselves from being caught up in merely taking passages of Scripture, cutting them out of context, and putting them uh, into what turns out frequently to be incomplete, if not incorrect, application. So I want us to remember a number of things from the preceding chapters. First of all, in the very beginning, the Apostle Paul reminds the church of Ephesus that they are saints, that there are no longer degrees of separation that there used to be in the temple worship of God. Now, in fact, all of these degrees of separation are erased by the work of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to all of the church in Ephesus. Let us consider this from Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So He is speaking to all of the people of God at Ephesus. We are reminded that Ephesians chapter 1 is a responsive prayer. In that we have learned that we should give thanks for creation, give thanks for redemption, and ask God to fulfill His will and His kingdom. We know that the book of Ephesians is set up in two halves. The first half deals with doctrines and truths. It is important that we understand that before we are to take action, we need to know that there are truths from God. But we are to believe and act whether or not we understand them all. It's a, it's a human pride issue when we say, I need to understand everything in order to walk and do the things that God tells me to do. We have a tendency to think that it is our intellect first and then take action. You know, this is a, a Greek and Enlightenment way to view the world. But we do need to understand that, yes, these truths are, are there, they're absolute, and out of those we can joyfully take action, and actions flow from the truth of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1 ends at verse 22 and says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so he sets this up. He says there's no more degrees of separation. You give thanks. God has chosen you. He's predestined you. You are all saints. And he says that he has given... All things are put under the feet of Jesus Christ. And 
He's given these things, this authority, to his church. And that is all of us. We see in chapter 2 that, that we are in great debt to God. And it is through his mercy and grace, his great wealth in his mercy and grace that our debt is paid. It is important that we recognize that we are unified. It isn't just in some loose way, but we are made alive together, we are raised together. Ephesians 2.5 tells us, even when we were dead in trespasses, okay, God made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The big heresy of the day was that there were distinctions now, still, after Christ, that there were the holy ones, or the more holy ones, and you guys are sort of holy. That's the heresy. And we see this in application even today. We must reject this. We need to recognize that he made us alive together in Christ. He raised us up together. And he made us sit together in heavenly places. That is, under the authority we've been delegated as the church. And of course, we see in chapter 2, verse 11, we are not to separate. We are no longer strangers. Verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself. Those, that foundation, the apostles and prophets, that is the Old and New Testaments. Through the work of Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is being fit together and it grows into a holy temple to the Lord whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Paul is driving home, we together, all of us, men and women, no matter your origins, where you're from, young or old, we are all together the saints of God, and we are being built together for a dwelling place of God with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We see, as we came to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, that Paul introduces himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. Now, you would think that after the first two chapters, he wouldn't need to drive home the unity of the body. But it is human nature for us to want to divide. We are always dividing everything up. This is our problem in science even. We do this, we apply our human nature reductionism. We just keep dividing it, making it smaller and smaller. And I'm not saying we shouldn't study things in the smaller ways. But sometimes we can become so focused on all the little divisions, we lose sight of the bigger picture. We need to understand the urgency of unity, the urgency that we are all saints, the urgency of understanding this. We cannot apply our Christian life 
outside of understanding the unity of the brethren. There are people in this room who have gotten on your last nerve. There are people in your house that have gotten on your last nerve. Maybe that one resonates a little more easily. There are people sitting in other churches this morning that have bothered you. Sometimes, it's, it's very interesting, I watch dialogues among pastors. And, and we, we pick up opinions and offenses and authoritative ideas about what's wrong with those, those people in those other countries. You see a lot of that these days as it relates to what's happening in Eastern Europe. People of God, if the church starts believing that we are the body of Christ, we are one, the world can reflect it. But as long as we as Christians find all these ways to be in division, the world will be divided. Last week, we spoke of restricted dominion. Like Paul, sometimes we feel like prisoners. Sometimes we feel like we are currently living as prisoners. And in some ways, that's true. There's a lot we cannot do. We're not running the country. So in that way, we do have some restricted dominion. We can only go so far. But this is important. Paul is a prisoner, and we are prisoners for the sake of others. Why does this matter? We understand that the Bible tells us that when you pray for the world and its rulers, as we just did, that something will happen. That limited dominion praying for this, that the prisoner who prays will see tribulation and hardship for the salvation of others, and even to share God's mercy and provision of salvation to the principalities and powers in high places. We see this in Joseph and Daniel and the lives of Paul and, of course, in Jesus Christ himself. All of this, we have to recognize, is for others. We certainly know this. At the very end, right, we see that of chapter 3, we see that Paul comes and he says, he, he comes and he says, he makes a prayer. He says this, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth. So he's praying these issues, these divisions. He's praying. And he's praying for the whole family in heaven and on earth. And he says, I do this because I want everyone to understand that in the mercies and in God's grace, we together have access to the throne of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 ends with the strength of, the, of praise to accomplish his glory in the church to all generations. Here, Ephesians 3.20 now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory, where? In his church, by Christ Jesus, 
to all generations forever and ever. And he says, Amen. That brings us to chapter 4. This is important. Again, you need context so that you can understand where we are, where we're going. Paul identifies himself a second time as a prisoner. And he says this in in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, that is to say, consequently, that is referred to the above truths and doctrines, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit In the bond of peace. Can you believe it? We get to chapter 4, and Paul is beating the same drum. And he drives it home. You see, when we get to the latter half of chapter 4, and we keep going on from there, we're going to find that he's going to give us instructions in how to live the Ten Commandments, how to take action as God wants us to take action. But before he does all this, he's trying to say, people of God, you've got to bear with one another. You are unified. You see, we can't grow into maturity. We can't deal with the complications of relationship if we think we can merely walk away from it. People of God, we all belong to the people of God. Just like I have brothers, and they are my brothers whether I like them today or not. Whether they offend me today or not. Whether they ask too much of me today or not. The same thing is true for the body of Christ in this room and for the body of Christ at large. And he says this, because he is a prisoner of the Lord, I must say this to you. He says that I, he says, I beseech you. That is, he's exhorting you, he's entreating you, he's doing all that he can to help you to see this. He says that you need to walk worthy. That is suitably. You might even could say, sort of like understanding manners and protocol of the calling, that is the vocation that you were made for. If you want to glorify God in all the things that you do, you have to start with these things. You need to walk with the manners and protocols of the calling that God made you for, the vocation that God made you for, which you were called. Now this is important. He said, you were called. This indicates past tense. It makes us think of Ephesians chapter 1. Chosen and predestined before the foundation of the world. And he says all this, and then he uses the word with. That's moving forward. From this point, moving forward, you should with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. First of all, he speaks of lowliness. It's important for us to remember that we are called to be humble. That's what this word lowliness is indicating. We can think of Philippians chapter 2, 
being humble like Jesus Christ. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. And then after telling us that, Philippians 2 goes on and says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but yet made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he did what? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. People of God, we need to understand that sometimes we become prideful in our view with one another as the people of God. I've got the absolute right perspective on this. And therefore, I have the superior position. And you need to conform to me right now. Praise God Jesus didn't operate with that. He took three years. And after three years of working with his disciples, his disciples still didn't quite get it. But they believed he was Lord, and so they kept following him. It's not until Jesus opens up their eyes after the resurrection, when he explains everything in the law and the prophets and in the Psalms and what they meant. If Jesus can have patience of that nature, and then, of course, they understood some stuff, but they still had to figure out how to live it out and how to work it. They had to come about it with humility. Now, it's important, as I say all this, I'm not saying we don't talk about sin and point out sin, but if we point out sin, it is for the purpose of restoring people. It is for the purpose of restoring people. We must be humble and full of lowliness like Christ Jesus. We so quickly forget that we have been chosen by God. You didn't choose yourself. God chose you. Refer back to Ephesians 1. That we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2. Grace is God's unmerited and unearned kindness. We forget that there are no longer any more degrees of separation as to the access to the throne room. Now, do we need to grow in our understanding and wisdom? Do we need the Lord to help us put the story together and understand his word better? Absolutely. But people of God, you didn't do this on your own. Ephesians 2.4 again reminds us, But God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And you might say, Pastor, why did you read the same passage twice? It's important. Paul is going this, over this again and again and again. And you read his epistles, and he goes over this concept again and again and again. Why? Because we're full of pride. feel like we have it all figured out. People of God, God chose you. 
confess your sins, live right, believe his word, understand that we are all together, the people of God. And in this, he says this, if we go back to Ephesians 4, verse 4, there is what? One body, that is the church, and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Or we could say y'all. So he keeps saying there's no degree of separation. He keeps trying to help us understand this idea of being the people of God together. And he comes out and then he says, if you have any questions about this, please hear me. There's one body. That's one church. One spirit of God. And we're called in one hope. There's one Lord over all things. Remember, he ascended into the heavens, sits at the right hand of God the Father. And what did he do? He then delegated this authority to the church. All of us together. One faith. Now this word faith here, we need to see and understand this, is this is one confession, one set of truths. This is the scriptures. We need to understand this. It's our confession. There's one confession. And yes, confessions that we recite and creeds that we have, these are great tools. But they are to be understood by scripture and that's what unites us. We need to hear this to remind us of these things. That there is one body here, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. We also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. For, though, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. We also see that as there is one spirit, we can understand this. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Following in this verse, we see that there is our hope. Now, hope in the Christian sense is not like the world applies it today, like I hope I have chicken for lunch today, or I hope I win the lottery, or I hope my neighbor lets me uh, do something with him, ride on his boat or whatever. It's not that sort of thing. It is rather a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. We see that we need to understand that there is one confession, one faith. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now we may, 
Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We also see in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We see that there's one baptism, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, For it has been declared to, to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Again, what I tell you, Paul's always dealing with this question. Now I say that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were we baptized in the name of Paul? Now here's the thing. He, he's, he's trying to say, look, first of all, you're all in Christ. You weren't baptized in my name, or in Peter's name, or in Apollos' name. We need to hear that and say, denominational differences. Now, have we studied the scriptures here and decided there's a particular way we're going to do that? Whether it's dunking, or pouring, or in some churches, sprinkling. Okay, those, are, those are, are differences of understanding. But they're still using water. They're still putting it on people. And as long as it's done in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're baptized. They're baptized. We are to guard against divisions. This is important. People of God, if I were to ask you this question, has God ordained all our days? Just our days or everybody's days? So God has ordained the church that at this time we will have different denominations. Don't rebel against his ordering of things. Come humbly to your brothers and sisters in Christ who don't worship where you do, maybe don't have some of the same teachings. We can have differences, but we are to walk humbly with lowliness with our fellow Christians. We are, in fact, one people, even if we don't see that unity. Now, I do believe in the future to come, God will continue to bring us together. But as long as we keep acting like we're always divided all the time and not seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ with moderate distinctions, I mean, if they're, if, if they're saying you can sin and you can do this, that's a problem. We need to call them to repentance with the point of restoration. Okay? But we need to see the people as, of God as truly our brothers and sisters, in every way. Listen, we are destined in Jesus Christ to win. The conspiracies of the wicked do not stand because they do not trust one another. Do not be like the wicked. We need to trust one another by trusting in God's word, by believing, by loving, by caring. And then God says, I've got a benefit package for you. Ephesians 4, 7 says, 
But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That's, out of, that's a quote from Psalm 68. He goes on and says this in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 9. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first ascended to the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now in that passage in Psalm 68, we learn that he ascended into high and that he he led the, the captivity captive. He took those who were captive and he's led them. You see, it used to be when you would conquer a people, you would bring all the leaders who survived and all your prisoners and you'd march back to your capital and they'd be behind you. When God leads us in captivity, when he calls us, he leads us. Not for humiliation, but Psalm 68 says, You have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive, you have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that Yahweh might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. God calls us in unity, and He gives us gifts. God gives gifts to all His people. Jesus gives gifts to secure the victory. We must be servants of all like Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.11 says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want to point out something here. Apostles and prophets, they were given by God. You could, you could call it sort of like a plenary authority. That is, they had authority in ways which we don't have today. We now have the Bible which gives us this authority. But he's also given some to be evangelists. We might could call this missionaries, people that we send out. And he says some pastors and teachers. And by the way, that's the same thing, just pastors function in different roles. And the reason we know that is that the word and on the, in the other groupings is a different designation than the word and here with pastors and teachers that actually connects them together differently. And he does all of this so that we, as the saints of God, are equipped for the work of ministry. Now, it's important to understand pastors are not kings. We are servants. We are slaves to Christ, speaking the words of my master. All of you, the work of ministry isn't simply what we do in this building but it is also in your vocations and acts of service. That's where we take dominion. In your vocations, in your acts of service, in your homes, in your community. Remember, because he told us that we had a calling, we had vocations at the beginning of this passage. We need to understand that our life now and in heaven, we will continue to learn and be more mature in God through Christ. We are all knit together in love. 
This is the why. Why are we doing all these things? Why does God give us these benefits? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, that's with humility, people of God, that we may grow up into all things, into him who is the head, Christ, from the whole body, joined and knit together by whatever by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love now listen i i think that we need to understand this just real quickly here we're coming towards the end but i want you to know this when he talks about being joined knit together remember god talks about us being built into the temple of god right it's one body Jesus is the chief cornerstone, right? We need to understand that, that in this language of being knit together, we think about it in the physical body, and that's helpful. But we also need to recognize that, that the precursor to the temple, and I think the same architectural thing plays in mind in a building as well, but with the tabernacle, you put all these parts together, but it wouldn't stand up unless you had all the parts. People of God, we need all the parts of the body of Christ different gifts, different callings, different vocations, different things that we're doing. We are knit together so that the kingdom of heaven may move forward. Maturity brings unity and it brings action because we believe the truths of God. This brings us to how to live. That'll be the law of God in the preceding weeks or the the next weeks coming up rather. Excuse me. Paul's going to give us an exposition of the Ten Commandments in the chapters to come. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for the clarity of your word. Give us seeing eyes and hearing ears that we may see, hear, and obey, that we might indeed conform ourselves and our culture, our times, our churches, our families to your word and unity, to your spirit. And by your grace, become a beacon of light and grace to the world. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.